Welcome to Hoots Hollering. I'm Thomas, and tonight I'm joined by James Hacker. Hi. And Devin Coronelli. Hello. And uh, I was just kind of wondering, what are you guys drinking tonight? Uh. Um, I had a bunch <laughs> of beers a minute ago. Nice. <laughs> all, so, all in one minute. Yeah, we're good at this point. <laughs> Sweet. I am I am drinking a some type of a red blend from the uh, Northwest Pacific Coast. I forget what. Why not red blend? So that's like a, like a franzi. <laughs> Hold on, did you say specific coast? Specific coast. Which specific coast is it? <laughs> the west one. God, specifically. Specifically, the west one. <laughs> the northwest. Um, uh, that's my favorite coast. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, best coast is my favorite coast. The the uh, the beer that I was drinking was a sour, but it was kind of a wineish sour. Ooh. It was very good. Was it a local mm. Chicago Guillen? It was. Brewery? It was. Yes. Nice. Uh, it was called Dark Lady, and it um, like it tasted like a sour wine, which was interesting. I thought. Ah, awesome. Yeah. That sounds. That sounds like it could potentially be good. It was pretty good. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, nobody asked, but <laughs> yeah, what I'm, are you I'm drinking, Thomas? Some uh, Wild Turkey 101, neat over here. Ah, my ah. Uh, NCC 1701 uh, tumbler glass that Yay. somebody gave me for uh, Father's Day, Valentine's Day, Thomas Day. I don't Day. remember. Yeah, it was a while ago. <laughs> I remember. Is a while. there? Uh, first of all, is there a Thomas Day? <laughs> yeah, and most, second of all, turns out most days are Thomas Days. So that's true. Up. Uh, the overall conceit of this show is that nobody listens to it unless you you know us very well. But just in case, it's <laughs> good to go ahead and, and acknowledge that Thomas and Devin are married. What? Oh, okay, hold on, hold on, wait, hold on, sh- sh- hold on, wait, hold on. Do we do we need to edit that out? I mean, do we? Do we uh, I did it while out? you were sleeping. I married you fuckers while you were both. <laughs> sleeping, so. Shit. Wait, 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 wait. You wait, were living wait, in wait, sin. Wait. I couldn't stand okay. it. You married us, so both of us together. You yeah. married yep. us. Okay, I got on. it. All no, right. wait, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I married you two together. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah, and then you I married down. the two of us together. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's how it works. Um, I mean, also, as we're disclosing things, I guess legally we have to disclose that you were the best man at my wedding. So, Oh, yeah. Aww, <laughs> yeah that's, that's I true. guess legally we do have to disclose that. <laughs> that would no, be terrible. We all signed that sheet that. of paper right afterwards, and I don't think that we really looked at it very closely. So, you know. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll yeah. get in trouble with the election commission if we don't actually get all these disclosures out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Was it was it weird that the officiant was looking at me the whole time <laughs> when he was asking <laughs> both of you? Unbroken eye contact. <laughs> That's weirder was that I was looking at you the entire time. <laughs> that's okay. I was looking at Stacy the entire time, so it was all good. And that's why they do uh, weekly buddy time together. Oh yeah, Devin is the co-host of Weekly Buddy Time. Woohoo! Another the most popular show on our network. Turns out. <laughs> yeah, I'm the one that actually doesn't do anything related to health or wellness. <laughs> that's uh, that's how that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I roll. That's how I roll. <laughs> I mean, you know, fair enough. Yeah. What the fuck what? is... What happened? <laughs> is that a stink bomb? What's that song? What? Did you guys hear something? <laughs> what is happening? Is that a spider in the spider on the mixing board? Or Yeah, is there some kind of weird... <laughs> New segment alert. <laughs> We got a new segment on this show. It's okay. Did you guys know oh, that? Shit. You're just oh. obviously speaking in tongues. It's fine. Oh, <laughs> hey, fucking hey! There's drop. There's a new segment on this show. All right, hit me. It's called this or that. 
That's how we that's how we get into this. All right, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to present you with two topics that we can talk about. <laughs> okay. And then, and we're going to go around and we're going to talk about or we're going to vote on which topic we want to talk about and then we're going to we're going to do, you know, 10 or so minutes on that topic. What if there's a tie? Oh no, there's three people. There can't be a tie. Oh no. <laughs> what if I only 50% vote for something? <laughs> All right. This week we're either going to talk about the Star Wars uh, uh, new teaser trailer that came out and how you feel about Star Wars, or we're going to talk about Notre Dame burning down. Devin, what's your vote? Can, can, I, can I say neither? <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, nope. Shit. This or that, Devin. Um, do I have time to go watch the trailer real fast? <laughs> now nah, you can just talk about the new Star Wars. Yeah, I, I or Star Wars in general. The trailer just for what it's worth. Yeah. This is going great so far. Yeah. I can't I can't Nailed wait to it, see James. how this turns out. Good job. <laughs> uh I want to hear votes. I I guess <coughs> Star Wars just because Notre Dame just make me sad. <laughs> All right, Thomas, what's your vote? Uh I'm gonna go Notre Dame. I, I oh. got some I got some hot takes. <laughs> I wanna oh, oh, some hot takes. Get it, get it, get the hot takes because it burned down. <laughs> <laughs> This goes, this goes out in two years, right? It won't be too soon. Oh no, right? it's still God. it's still gonna be ben? it's still gonna Shit. be pretty sad. This is God. going out next Wednesday, my Brian, my friend. Uh. <laughs> um, uh, do Just I want people out, mad at us? Do yeah. I, okay, do I want Francophiles mad at us, or do I want Star Wars fans mad at us? Oh, the French mm. for sure. Mm. <laughs> uh, just because I think it will be a little bit more interesting. Since you both haven't seen the Star Wars trailer, <laughs> let's do Notre Dame. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Before Thomas makes everybody bad, Devin, how did it make you feel? <laughs> um. Well, I mean, you know, it was it's sad. It was a it's a historical landmark. Um. I'm I am neither religious nor uh, have I ever been to France, so I can't say that it really affected me personally um but you know i was a little sad about the fact that there was a um cataclysmic thing that happened and you know mm -hmm. this this thing was burned up and and art was destroyed and yada 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 um i would say that my you know i felt i felt bad about it but i also felt like you know there there are a lot of things that get destroyed every day and you know some at least no one died in this particular True. situation and no one was hurt and so you know as much as i if i was going to donate money i'd probably donate money to situations where people were actually getting harmed and you could help people as opposed to old buildings but that's that just me anyway but <laughs> that's what mine. what is your um uh, I know we're going to go off the fucking crazy train when Thomas gets on here, so I want to talk to you for a little bit. Uh, no, 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 hold on. Wait a minute. <laughs> so what's your thoughts on um, how they should rebuild it? Do, uh, do you have any preference on if they, if it, if this were your project, Yeah. would you rebuild it completely the way it was? Would you do something completely new or would you do something different? I would probably be very historically accurate as best as I could be, um, just because I'm a history nerd and very into old stuff and, you know, because I'm old. Uh, but also, I just like, I really enjoy old architecture and 
I enjoy the history behind things, and I think I would probably just keep it, you know, as close to its origin as possible for that reason. But that's just me. Okay. All right, Thomas, drop those fucking hot takes. Let's do it. <laughs> what you don't, uh, you don't, you don't want to go on the record uh, with how you feel before I sway you. Uh, oh, no, oh. I, I would. I'd like to hear both sides. All right. <sighs> oh boy. Um, <laughs> I think that there's something really important that we have to very carefully examine, like as societies and as individuals, with how tightly we hold on to the past in things. And I mean, while I am definitely kind of saddened that, you know, it was an active church for a lot of people. And so that's a bummer. And obviously it was beautiful and a, a stunning achievement of its time. There's something that kind of, I get itchy about two aspects of this whole scenario. One uh, is just like, there's this very, I don't want to say Western notion because I don't actually know that it's Western. I haven't studied in Eastern cultures at all. But there's this notion in a lot of cultures that we have to take whatever is there and make sure it never changes or goes away. And there is something in me that makes that feel like it's tremendously unhealthy. And while I wouldn't say we should go around just like blow up everything that's more than 500 years old, I don't think it's bad if something that old has to be replaced with something newer and i mean my my question would be like is there i mean surely france has been generating culture in the past i mean how old was that thing 800 years something like that 500 years i've forgotten already but like over the (laughs) last several hundred years france has moved on right they've moved on from the point where like the crusaders brought back all of these architectural influences that you know kind of slowly built up to Notre Dame being built. What could modern France do to take that site and what is left and make something new out of it that honors the older tradition? Because we have to honor history. We have to. And I am a fan of culture. And I am a fan of old things. Like, you know, I'm living out on my family's farm. We're going to be a multi-generational, uh, uh, you know, homestead. compound. <laughs> homestead, essentially, right? <laughs> Compound sounds a little Waco, but right, you yeah. Know, like I'm, I'm a fan of things with history, but it, it just bothers me when anybody tries to hold the world in stasis in any way, because I just feel like you know everything gets washed into the stream and everything has to pass. And so, while it's sad, it's not a tragedy. Because I mean, my personal opinion is that we should just like laser scan literally everything so that it's digitally archived and you like put that under Antarctica so that like data is not lost. But physical <laughs> artifacts are not that important to me, especially when they're like in the center of a major city where something new could grow from well, it. Okay, but okay, so I will, I'm gonna, I, I get it and I, I don't disagree about it, about thinking about it as a tragedy. Because I do, like I mentioned before, I feel like a tragedy has more to do with like loss of, human life and, you know, loss of life in general and and whatever. But I do feel like if you can hold on to history when it comes to buildings, there's something very beautiful about that. And And especially in Europe, the reason why I mention that is because one of the really, like, uh, breathtaking moments of my life was when I went to Germany 
And I was like, you know, on squares and in little towns where buildings had been there for, you know, literally a thousand years, you know, and it was just almost a thousand years. And it was ridiculous that these things had been there, you know, so long. And, you know, this was these churches had been built during, you know, the reign of Charlemagne or whatever. And it was just like, this is ridiculous that this has been here this long. Like how many people, how much history has this particular structure seen? How long has it been the background of the the story that's happening in this area? And there's something really beautiful to me about that, you know, and it's the same feeling that I have about natural things too, like mountains or, uh, you know, artifacts that are really recognizable, waterfalls, whatever, things that are, that occur in nature, the Grand Canyon, you know, things that have been there forever and ever and ever. Um, but you know, there's something to be said about having some, I guess, historical, uh, vestige of, of human life throughout time. That's to me, that's cool. Well, here's the, um, I think here here might be the point that Thomas is trying to make. Is it history if it stays in stasis forever? So I'm sure mm. all those old um, towns that you went to in Germany, like the, the buildings that you were seeing probably have been restored to their original right. um, setup. So what if at some point... You know, all all that we we all that uh, the French lost in Notre Dame was a spire. So, what if the spire was rebuilt in a modern architecture with modern art and things like that? And then, to me, that does show history because it shows in history that in 2019 it burnt down and we rebuilt it in a new modern way. If you just rebuild it the exact same way that it was, it's it's acting as if that didn't happen. Yeah. So, it, I mean, does it preserve history to keep things the way they are, or does it preserve history to continue to add on and change things with, you know, with the times? With if something, ha- you know, if something catastrophic happens, right? Uh, rebuild it in a in a new style. Would that be a more um, historical view at that at that item? I guess that makes sense, and I could, you know, like I know that they whenever the uh, towers fell in New York and like what they rebuilt there was, you know, like a monument or something. Right. You remember that this was this terrible thing that happened and these were these structures that were there, but we're not going to rebuild the structures. Right. Right. And so I could see, I could see that for sure. Uh, I guess I was responding more to Thomas's idea that something new could be there, like completely new. Um, well, yeah. And, you know. and I mean, I, I need to like, I feel like I need to jump in just to defend that idea too. Cause I mean, I also think that there's something to the idea that like, uh, like, how can you miss something if it, you're not apart from it in any way? How can something be history if you never let it go and move on from it? I mean, one of the things that makes history history is that it's a state that we learn from and things that happened, not how we, like, continue to do things and how we hold things right. to, like, those old standards. So, I mean, I think that's part of what, like, I feel like is, honestly, if you get super objective about it and start looking around... It's an old church taken from an objective perspective. How long do you leave an old church there before it's either irrelevant or unhealthy to continue just keeping that as an old church for the sake of it having been an old church? Like it's a, it's a snake eating its tail at that point. Oh, 
Yeah. Jeez, that's, a, that's a lot of dead air there. So, okay, cool. I guess. Sorry. No, and I think that, like, the other thing I can throw out, and I guess you can, you can clip that out, but the, the other thing I can throw out is that I also feel, um, like, the older I get and the more aware of privilege that I am, I'm also hyper aware of, like, the European colonialism and imperialism that went into being able to build these giant and very impressive structures. Mm-hmm. And them in themselves aren't bad, but I find it, I find it stark that something like Notre Dame can catch on fire, and before the embers are even cold, there are you know large <laughs> billionaires. I think they raised three hundred million euros in the first. Yeah, like, right. It's not even right. Cold. before and the night was donating over. millions and millions of euros to rebuild an old church, while there are you know churches in the southeast of um, America being burned down by racists. And Absolutely, there are children who are hungry, and it's just like. It's, I don't want to go like full Chapo Trap House on this or anything, but there's just something about that that is so disturbing to me that we have like all of this inequality and injustice in the world. And then the thing that we all like collectively latch onto is an old church. I agree with that. I completely agree with that. For sure. I just, you know, like don't go to, uh, Aachen, Germany and just decide, oh, hey, you know what? We don't really need. Uh, the Palatine Chapel anymore. We're just gonna <laughs> get rid of that, like you know, or the Cathedral of Aachen. Like some things, as long as, like, if there's a historical thing that happens, if there's something that happens that is a tragedy, I can understand. You know, if it was up to me, I'd probably try to reconstruct it because that's just the way that I am. But I could understand the the need or the the idea behind moving forward with history. But I also feel like trying to preserve things that have been there forever are is a very noble thing as well um but i do agree with you that these are funds and whatever that would be better served helping underprivileged you know situations or other people in in not this one yeah it's hard to to say what other people should be doing with their money though i mean well that is true it's it's, it's really like I completely agree with you guys, but uh, on one hand, I'm not donating any money to either of those causes. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to tell people, you know, what to. No, and uh, and I'm not I'm not like proposing that we censure anybody for those choices. I just think that anybody who looks at that situation and isn't moved to some like serious introspection probably should like go back and think about it again. That's fair. Fair enough. All right. Well, we went we went pretty uh pretty hardcore. You did this this, this week. Was you. <laughs> I was like, uh, okay, uh, Devin, I, you didn't know what you were getting yourself into, and neither no. did I. But that's that's what happens, you know. All right. You've, you've got a this or that, and sometimes it ends up on that. <laughs> Do I get a, right. like a hat that says Captain of That? Yes, Captain. <laughs> you could be Captain of That. <laughs> Jesus All right, Devin. Christ. <clears throat> so this yeah. week, uh, what did you want to what did you want to come on and talk about? This I don't week? know. I don't know now. <laughs> I feel like I should be curled up in a fetal position somewhere. No, What's not happening? at all. <laughs> not at all. Oh, we have with us uh, Devin Corin. Do, do you prefer Devin Corin or Devin Corin Alley? <clears throat> Devin Corin is is best. Okay, Devin you know, Corin. If you if you, you can actually say it correctly, I've only been married like Devon. Yeah, Corin. You're the only person that I've ever heard pronounce it that way. Devin Corin. Exactly. I have David Curry on the line, and he would like to pitch his new book. <laughs> Jesus. 
Um, uh, no, sorry, I. Corinne? Oh, God. <laughs> That's how this is going to go, huh? Yeah, this, so, is, this is the divorce. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm putting up those papers right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> They're in Dropbox. Hang on. <laughs> yeah, hold on. Let me send these to you. Click, click. You've been served, uh, sir. Yes, exactly. It only took two minutes. It's fine. But <laughs> uh, I think the reason why I thought it might be cool to come on your show was because whenever I published my book for, I guess, about two or three years, it was literally the first thing that would come up on Amazon if you looked up Appalachian Queer. Uh, and it's still just, there's just a handful of things that come up and it's still one of the oh, major ones. But I didn't um, realize that you had started a movement. Apparently. There's other things on there now. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so can you like, um, can you just kind of describe, for, before we start talking about the Appalachian queer movement or your book or anything <laughs> like that, can you just start kind of just tell us a little bit about yourself for those, for like the one person that's listening to this doesn't listen to Weekly Buddy Time for some reason. I don't know why you would be <laughs> you really should go that person, show. but just in case, uh, yeah. can you just kind of give us a quick intro on who you are and uh, sure. kind of deal? Absolutely. Uh, so I'm Devin Curran. I... Grew up in the mountains of Appalachia, and I uh, identify as, I guess, bisexual. There's so many different terms now, which is something that I may talk about later. <laughs> I would like to get into that. Uh, it's, but bisexual is fine. I, it's fine. Um, queer. I'm, I grew up that way. <laughs> and I am a writer, and I went to the University of Tennessee, got my master's in creative writing, and I've also published a novel that is called Jack and the Dragon Man's Daughter. And uh, yeah, so I've got, cool. I'm married to Thomas and we've got three kids and <laughs> I don't know, what and, else do you want to know? And, and you <laughs> live on a hill? I live on a hill. I live, I live in the Shire. Yeah. yeah. Appalachia adjacent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I can you see are literally... it from my front door. Now, hold on. You are literally published in a large book called Encyclopedia <laughs> of Appalachia. That is true. Just I do have a small there. a small article published in the Encyclopedia of Appalachia on the Johnstown flood. So there's that. Okay. Yeah. So that's those are your bona fides. Yes. As, yes. As they as they say in Appalachia. <laughs> <laughs> now, hold on. Is all of your experience with Appalachia from Oh Brother Where Art Thou, James? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't lived no. in Chicago for that long. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so do you want to just kind of get us started on uh, what your your topic de jour is today? <laughs> uh, yeah, so my my a novel that I wrote a few years ago is actually an Appalachian queer coming of age novel, and so it's about you know a girl grows up in the mountains and realizes that she likes what girls, other girls. And, but she's also going through a whole lot of other stuff. So it's obviously not just about that, but that is, I would say probably the centerpiece of the novel. Uh, I I actually wrote that novel for NaNoWriMo, the National Novel Writing Month that happens in November. Uh, And I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do with it. I kind of based it on a jacktail, which jacktails are part of Appalachian culture They've kind of bled over into well, they've they they have a greater history as well, um, but they uh, I, I based it loosely off of that, and it just kind of 
decided to do what it wanted to do, which was initially kind of become a softcore porn novel. So I had to kind of <laughs> tone it down a little bit <laughs> before I got it published. Um, but you know, that's uh, hey, that's what happens sometimes. Can you um, can you describe Jack Tail? Because I'd never heard of that before talking to you about it. So can you kind of fill everybody in on what that is? So Jack Tails. Uh, yeah, so Jack Tails all are kind of centered around a main character named Jack. And mm-hmm. uh, in Appalachia, he's usually got two brothers as well. And it's very much he's going off into the world to seek his fortune. You know, Jack goes and seeks his fortune. It's like a hero's tale kind of thing. Right, exactly. And he's he's kind of a, a little bit of a... Uh, dumbass <laughs> that be the best way to put it uh you know because he's very he's, you know very new to the world and doesn't really understand the way things work and uh really gets by off of dumb luck a lot of the times and but it's meant it's designed in that way that in folklore you get that trope where you have that kind of dumb hero right that just kind of falls into their adventure and falls into their success um just by you know making a series of choices that are based on them being inherently a good person. So that's uh, really where where it's going. Um, so that uh, is the, I guess, the basics of, sure. of the Jack Tale. And, I mean, like, you're, pr- you're probably more familiar with Jack Tales than you know, because if you think about, like, uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, you know, right. for example, is is got the same root as the Jack Tales in Appalachia. The ones in Appalachia just became a little bit more locally and regionally centric as they developed as the, you know, people who settled in the mountains, you know, grew their culture and changed the stories to fit their culture. So how, uh, do you want to get into how you kind of took that structure um, and wrote your novel about it? Or would you rather people just kind of read uh, knowing that that's, kind of the jumping off point that you started I can, with. I don't want to give too much away. Sure. Uh, but yeah. I can I can say I had an idea of my major thing was that Jack has been a character in my I don't know what you call it. Writers have characters. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how you, you just have like a like a uh, like a Crayola box of characters that you can pull from. And Jack has been a character in my Crayola box for a while and the difference with my Jack and the Jack of the Jack Tales is that my Jack is a girl. She mm-hmm. identifies as female. Um, she was born a female as well. Not that that really matters, but she is definitely, you know, she's a tomboy, but she's definitely uh, a young woman. And she was named after her grandfather in the book. And I wanted to find something that would take her on an adventure that would allow her to fall in love because I did want to explore that element. And so I found a Jack tale, Jack and the Dragon Man's Daughter, and that seemed to sort of fall into something I could use <laughs> to, to make a very basic skeleton for my story. And I, you know listened to the tale and looked at it and then thought about how I wanted to adjust it and, uh, and rewrite it essentially. And that was, uh, that was kind of the process. Cool. You mentioned you did this for NaNoWriMo. Did you actually write this whole thing in a month? I did. Yes. <laughs> That's really cool. 
That's the I only can't... time that's ever happened to me. <laughs> uh, and edit it and everything, or I mean, no, did you no, have no, the... no, 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 okay. no. <laughs> okay, <'cause>... No, <laughs> I was going to say I... was the whole process done in a month, but I guess no. It the was, first uh... draft, the first draft was all done in a month, and then gotcha. It actually lived on my hard drive for like I don't know, three or four or five years, like forever. I didn't even, it was a long time though. And I didn't even look at it again um, because I was, I don't know, I was embarrassed by it maybe. I don't know. I, it was the first time I'd ever finished anything. And I think I was just having some like just psychological uh, resistance to (laughs) being successful at anything. So I just didn't really want to look at it and see what had happened. (laughs) Just forgot about it for a while. And then, yeah, go ahead. Honest, I mean, it's it's kind of counterculture um, mm-hmm. in the area too. So I could imagine there was a little bit of resistance of wanting to put it out there. Very much so. I mean, I yeah. never really thought I would actually uh, publish it. To be perfectly honest, I would just wrote it to to have fun with it. Hence <laughs> why it was initially softcore porn. Uh, it was really <laughs> just for me. Sure. And uh, and then it was like, oh wait, no, this is pretty good. There's some really good stuff here. I could, you know edit it and honestly i was pushed by friends of mine i probably would have completely forgotten about it forever but i had one of my my dear friends elizabeth keithley started a publishing company and was like i need people who have written books devin you've written a book (laughs) like you need to edit this thing and get it to me because i want to publish your novel and i was like okay (laughs) because pretty much if elizabeth keithley says anything to me i do it that's uh that's pretty much how it works wow okay (laughs) Just for future reference. Yeah, so we know how to get uh, the second ver- or the second uh, story out there now. Right, exactly. I've been working yeah. on her for that for years, so I guess I don't know <laughs> who to go to to actually make That's it right. happen. That's right. That's exactly right. Um. So, did you want to talk about um like Appalachian culture in general and how you um like ha- how it was for you growing up or yeah some- okay cool. Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted yep. to double check with you there. Um, so how long have you been kind of openly bisexual? Uh, since I, well, okay, define open. <laughs> well, and also define bisexual. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, let's, let's use the word and here. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> like uh, in high school, did, right. did you ever... Like, were you were you openly bisexual in high school? Did people know? Were, or was that something, because you said, you, you know, you grew up in a kind of rural area in Tennessee. Right. Uh, were, uh, were there ever any yeah, issues you like up? that? I, where I grew up, I, I grew up in a little town called Mossam, Tennessee. <laughs> Mossam, Tennessee, uh, Greene <laughs> County. So, um, I, and it's spelled M-O-S-H-E-I-M. As if it says. were... Yeah, <laughs> it's, but, it, if it were European, it would be Mossheim. So right. like uh, if you were a Norse god, it would be <laughs> the the land of Moss. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but there is a whole story about that, which I can get into because oh, it really? was part of my Appalachian studies. Uh, yeah, so Mossheim, <laughs> this is so boring, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, it used to be a town called Blue, uh, Blue Springs. And so like back in the Civil War times, so Blue Springs, there's a big battle that happened there called the Battle of Blue Springs for the okay. Civil War that they reenact every year. And, but whenever the 
turn of the century happened, there was a uh, school that was built there called the Mossheim School. And it was like a college. And I can't remember the details behind it, but it was named after a German philosopher. Uh, and I think his name was like Johann Mossheim or Johann oh. von Mossheim or something. And so all of the mail that came to the tiny little town of Blue Springs was going to the Mossheim School. Uh, so people kind of shorthanded it and just started calling it after the Mossheim School, and then that's how it became Mossheim. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> so there you go. Huh. Never knew but, that. But uh, used to be Blue Springs. Yeah. That's so there pretty you cool. go. Anyway. So that's um, obviously, how far would you say that is from the biggest town? Is Knoxville the, the closest uh, quote-unquote big town? Uh, I it's kind of, it, like it's almost City. directly in between Johnson City and Knoxville. Johnson okay. City is probably a little bit closer. Okay. Um, yeah, Johnson City is not a big town, though. <laughs> well, okay. A town with true. three stoplights. That's that's a big town. <laughs> okay. Johnson City is, barely qualifies. <laughs> <laughs> it is very close to Greenville, Tennessee. So okay. that's, yeah, that was like, that was town. That was where you went to go buy your groceries. Right. And Morristown <laughs> so. was like relatively culturally close. Right, yeah, it's it was about forty five minutes away in the other direction, and that was where all my friends lived. <laughs> gotcha, and all the people I dated, and yeah, <laughs> I was like, just trying to go go the opposite man, the opposite way. Of Canadian girlfriend was a uh, boyfriend boyfriend in more. No, no, no. My version of Canadian girlfriend was truly a my boyfriend lives in Kentucky. Like that, <laughs> that literally did use that. Thanks. <laughs> So, um, nice. but to answer your, your original question about whether or not I was openly out, um, it's so complicated, which I think is, is very indicative for, for being queer in Appalachia as opposed right. to being queer other places. Yeah. Because, you know, I was, I fell in love with a girl, you know, like you do in uh, the eighth grade. And we had a very long-term relationship for a couple of years. Um, and, you know, and obviously I was pursuing that. My mom knew. Um, a handful of friends knew. But, you know, if there were strangers in, in the hall or whatever, it was definitely not anything I was, like, out about. Sure. So, uh, so I had a boyfriend who lived in Kentucky, and so did she. And, <laughs> okay. You know, that was not... <laughs> We had all of our classes freshman year together, uh, and we sat on the bus very, very close to each other, and, um, you know, I, like, literally got sexually harassed by older girls because, you know, everyone figured out that I was uh, probably not straight, um, but but I was not, like, out and proud. Sure. <laughs> that, was, that was not really a thing. I don't think I knew anyone who was out and proud in, uh, you know my high school growing up and and just to like double back a little bit because i know too much about your story and feel like right. this could be informative um your mom wasn't standard like green county hick fair culture oh yeah right? that's probably a good thing to mention <laughs> yeah she was um she was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona, which is why I don't have a really intense accent because she kind of beat it out of me. Uh, we moved to East Tennessee when I was two, and so I pretty much lived my whole life in Appalachia, but uh, I had this mom who was like this uh, super liberal, crazy neo-pagan, like uh, just 
<laughs> you know, the uh, red reading tarot cards, you know, saying she's psychic, like the whole nine lot mm-hmm. yards, right? Um, friends, she was going to college about the time that I was exploring this part of my sexuality. And, uh, and so she had friends who were gay who hung out with us all the time. And, uh, so it was, I was definitely aware and I was obviously out to all of them. I was aware of this whole universe in a way that probably other people that I even went to school with, uh, were not. Well, you know, they, they, I've been hearing this phrase a lot lately and I think it, it makes a whole lot of sense, um, representation matters so much um so when i was young obviously there were no there were basically no like outwardly gay or bisexual people that i was i had any exposure to at all so i can imagine that if your mom did have these friends that that showed you that hey you know it's it's totally cool to have thoughts that are not what the, the you know your baptist <laughs> friends say are completely okay or anything like that right that's kind of empowering when you're a teenager i can imagine. absolutely absolutely i mean now when i you know my mom found out she totally told me it was just a phase and i'd get over it but you know oh, okay. that's a whole nother story <laughs> so she still had you know she still had a little bit of the old school in her yeah exactly yeah. exactly but at least she wasn't like i'm kicking you out and you're a terrible sure. person it was just yeah Oh, whatever. You're funny. You're this is a phase. Like it's really not, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not, but okay should be your your next novel. That's uh, uh, <laughs> yes, yes. There you go. <laughs> it's not a phase, but okay. It's not a phase. Th- thanks, okay. mom. Um, just to we're gonna probably jump around a lot here, but uh, mm-hmm. how would you think? Um, how would you say now that you guys have three kids currently? How would you say things have changed now that you're a mom? Like, do you do you still see kids like if your one of your daughters came to you and said, "Hey, I'm uh, I'm a lesbian or I'm bisexual or you know whatever," um, mm-hmm. they could say, "I'm actually a boy." I'm sure you guys would be totally cool with it. But like, yeah. how would you say Appalachian culture has changed or has it since you were a kid? It's kind of hard for me to say because I don't feel like I actually live in it anymore because okay. I've I've migrated out. I mean. Technically, Knoxville is still in Appalachia, you know, mm-hmm. but it's it's not like living in Appalachia, Appalachia. Right. Uh, so I, I I think that things have changed a little bit. Um, I hope that they have, but I can't say for a hundred percent, you know, certainty that that life has changed in those those areas uh, in a way that definitely not the same way that things have changed, like even here in Knoxville in the last ten years. Mm-hmm. You know, and that has been really, really awesome. And I I would feel like, you know, where we live now, if if one of our children were to identify in any of those ways, they would have a lot more support than anyone sure. that where I was growing up had. And they would definitely have all the support of us and, and their family and, you know, and the church that I go to and all of that. Um, what but, church do you go to? Uh, I go to the uh, Tennessee Valley Unitarian Universalist Church. <laughs> so oh. I am a UU. Yeah, I mean that's so. worth mentioning. There, there's not yeah, like no, a UU good. presence so. in uh in Mossheim. No, there is not. There is there is a UU church in Gray, Tennessee, but I did not discover that until I was uh, twenty. So <laughs> one of the that. uh, interesting. One of the things I've always found interesting in listening to your stories from like high school, especially, is like 
the number of incidences where whether you suspect it or not, somebody might be gay that uh, people just had to <laughs> had to flee and right. go other places or otherwise like, you know, uh, just like totally repress themselves yes. in order to like deal with their homosexuality. Um, Absolutely. And I know that you and- aren't in that as much anymore, but do you feel like that's getting any better or is it just the case that, <laughs> you know, if you're gay, you continue to flee? Uh, I do feel like it is getting a little bit better because some of the people who I suspected were gay back whenever I was in high school have come out and still live in, you know, in that area. So I do feel like they have gotten to the point where they feel comfortable in expressing themselves because they, you know, one of the girls I went to high school with, you know, who I always suspected had a, had a thought, probably was, uh, is married to a beautiful woman and like, you know, posts all over Facebook and, you know, is is like best friends with all these other people that we all went to high school with. And like, it's, it seems to be perfectly fine now. Um, so I do feel like it has improved. She must've been like seriously radiating the correct vibes because for a queer person, you have the worst (laughs) gaydar of anyone I've ever met. Oh, shut up. (laughs) Also, that is true, but, uh, that is, that is accurate. But, uh, anyway, (laughs) Uh, but yeah, so I, I do feel like that is, I feel like that's the case for most people. I do, however, know that there's still a lot of individuals who I have found out do identify as, as queer in some context who have like, um, they're, they're out if they come to Knoxville and come to church, but when they go home, I don't think their oh, family knows, right? Sure. And then I know other individuals who, you know, are, are queer and like will present themselves in, in a certain way in Knoxville in these communities or even in their everyday life. But then when they go home, it's like they have to pretend to be someone else to Hmm. be around family, which is really, really sad to me. Um, But it's, I think that's part of, part of the culture. How do you feel that should be handled? Like if if you had your druthers, um, would you say that uh, for anybody who's, who is doing that, do you think it's more healthy to, just present yourself the way that you are with your family? Or do you think there's any um, merit in kind of masking who you actually are to maybe to some older uh, family members or anything like that? Do you think that, that it it's healthy to kind of go one side or the other? That's a really good question. I feel like the most important thing is to just not feel shame about it, mm-hmm. whether you're masking yourself or not. One of the things that I struggle with even, you know, and, and I consider myself to be relatively out now. Uh, it only took me 40 years, but, you know, like, <laughs> I feel like I, I'm pretty out. Um, but it took me a long time. And for years, I had a lot of complicated feelings about it. And, like, there is a stigma attached to queer people in the greater community and, like, the more urban areas and with the younger generations, like if you are not out and you're not an activist, you're obviously doing it wrong. And I feel like as much as you want to be true to yourself and you want to be comfortable being yourself, you also don't want to feel bad or guilty if you don't feel comfortable doing that. Right. So, and I feel like that's a really important thing that a lot of the, the more activist parts of the culture 
fail to recognize, especially when you're talking about a culture like Appalachia, which is uh, understandably three steps behind. I think mm. the other thing to keep in mind, though, is the fact that it's really easy to like vilify the Bible Belt or the South or Appalachia as being these places where, you know, the mindset's just so far back behind, you know, the rest of reality and these people are just dumb and they're just, you know, and they're not. The issue is that you've got generations of, of culture and you've got poverty and you've got people who are just like scraping by and, and desperation to just like feed their families and, and survive that they can't, you know, get to that point where they can start thinking about things that are, you know, more philosophically uh, expanding, right? Because they're just trying to get by day by day. Sure. And the for many people, one of the best places for them to turn to is a church. And sometimes the church has, uh, you know, a dogma or a... Uh, text that makes them feel like, you know, they can't accept certain people in the world. And I just feel like there has to be understanding on both sides. And if somebody doesn't feel comfortable going home and presenting, like you can feel sad about it or you can feel like that's a shame, but you don't need to make them feel bad about making that choice. Sure. Yeah. So that's my thought. That makes total sense. Do you think that uh, that position is informed by your specific orientation? Um, and I, I know that there's like kind of a big thing about bi erasure and right. I'm guessing as somebody who, you know, married a dude and had a bunch of kids, <laughs> uh, that could be a little more complicated. It is. It is. I mean, for me, it, it's, it's a lot easier to stay in the closet. You know, I mean, people at work don't know. I'm, I'm definitely not like running my, I mean, I do have my rainbow sticker on my car. Um, and, but it's not like I'm, you know doing anything i'm not like hey everybody guess what i'm bisexual you know or i'm starting a <laughs> I'm bisexual married, but if if i wasn't i would totally bone you hey what's yeah, up exactly like that's not that's not exactly what i'm doing at work um but if somebody were to ask me or if it has come up i have mentioned it you know as a you know because i i'm not closeted but i'm not gonna like you know, but it's this awkward place, especially for someone who's bisexual, because it's not like you want to go around and just be like, hey, everybody, guess what? I'm bisexual, because that sounds that makes you sound really crazy. Yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> most people don't go around saying, hey, everybody, I'm I'm completely straight as an arrow. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you so, know, one of the things I always heard from the old people around me was like, and especially this like goes back to early Ellen DeGeneres, but like. You know, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I'm not against gay people, but why does Ellen have to like rub it in our faces all the time? Right. Like, all Ellen exactly. was doing was showing up and like being with a woman. Right. So, exactly. Like, if you're bi and with a dude, then there really isn't any projection of your bisexuality, I guess, unless you're handing out cards. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And the, you know, the, the one side of that, there's not a good side or a bad side. There's just different sides. The one side of that is, that the individuals who might have a problem with it obviously will, even if they do know that you're bisexual, since you're not quote unquote rubbing it in their face, they're going to be a little bit more, you know, tolerant of you <laughs> because, you know, you're not living a life that they find uh, horrific and terrible. Mm -hmm. But on the other side for, you know, the people who you consider to be your allies and the people you care about who are in the community, they're like, what the hell are you doing? You know, you're living this straight life and yet you say you're one of us. You don't know what it's like to be one of us. 
Uh, and so it's a really awkward place to be, um, for sure, for sure. Would you say that you've had backlash from both communities? Absolutely. Probably more from the actual queer community than uh, my day-to-day life. You know, I mean, it's like Thomas's parents know that I'm bisexual and they are the most uh, conservative people that, well, maybe not the most conservative people, but they are, they are very yeah. conservative people. And, uh, you know, whenever they found out, I thought that it would cause problems or that they would, you know, hate me. I don't know. But no, they're fine with it. <laughs> so, sure. I, you know, that's, uh, I, I get a lot less backlash from that side, but I do get more, I feel, backlash from the the queer community not as much now to be fair as as i have in the past do you think so i mean we kind of touched on this a little earlier but do you think it's because um the queer community has been kind of persecuted forever they need all the allies they can get so they feel like you know if you're one of them you need to be out there um, oh absolutely yeah absolutely and i think that there's you know I mean, there there are factions in the queer community itself. You've got, you know, bisexuals who, you know, quote unquote, live as straight people. Right. Uh, and then you've got the kind of complicated relationship between trans or gender fluid individuals with uh, traditionally gay, lesbian individuals. And it's it's... It's not just like, oh, hey, we're all this happy rainbow and we're all going to go to pride festivals together and love each other. Like it's a, there's a lot of pieces that are just in the greater community that are very um, at odds with each other. I, I think I would say the one thing that Appalachian queer community has going for it as opposed to like a bigger city is because there's so there's so few of us that or at least out enough to like find each other that we tend to like not <laughs> fraction in the same way. Oh, sure. Because we're like, oh crap, we're all fucking misfits. So we're just going to hold on to each other and hope that nobody kills us in our sleep. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so Jeez. Right. that, uh, that helps, uh, that at least, but I don't remember. I, I think it was a comedian that I was watching, but I saw some skit about, um, and you can tell me if this, if if you're in your eyes, if you think this is true or not. But they were talking about um, gay people in Appalachia, and uh, they were saying something like, um, "I'm going to completely butcher this," but it was something like, uh, "Yeah, we we knew the guy was gay. We didn't care as long as he stayed off our property." Do you do you feel like right. that's a, a thing? <laughs> Jesus in Christ. Appalachia, like you, yeah. you go over there on your property and do whatever you want, but yes. just don't, just don't invade my area. Do you think don't that's an actual, here. um, like, do you think that's actually, you know, true? What actually happens, or do you think there's more of a stigma uh, than what that guy presented? I would say yes and no. I mean, I feel like uh, Appalachia is a lot more. Uh, What's the word that I'm looking for? Um, accepting isn't exactly what I'm looking for, but tolerant, I guess, would be <laughs> tolerant <laughs> in the original sense of the word. That means we will deal with this even though we don't like it. We'll right? deal with it as long as it doesn't affect us in any exactly. way whatsoever. It stays exactly. off the farm, yeah. Right, right. Um, because, you know, you that something is happening over there with those people. It doesn't affect my family. It's not directly affecting individuals that I know. Um, 
it's over there. So if that's what they want to do over there, that's their business, you know? Sure. And that is definitely an Appalachian mindset. So I do feel like there is something to be said for that. Um, but I also do feel like whenever you're talking about a church community or a family or a school community or places where people are kind of forced to be together uh, in, in a community setting, that's when you run into the the prejudice and right. the stigma. Yeah. Because uh because it's it's still not okay um to be that way. Sure. It's a very Appalachian thing in my experience to want everybody to leave you the fuck alone. And it's like a necessary <laughs> corollary of corollary of that that you kind of want to leave everybody else the fuck alone because everybody just wants to stay out of everybody else's business. Yes. Except when they're thrown together. Like exactly in a school exactly. or you know, whatever, right? School, workplace, church, that kind of thing, family, yeah. that kind of thing. Right, right. Um, would you say there's any pluses to growing up queer in Appalachia at all? I mean, I, there are definitely pluses to growing up Appalachian. Um, I mean, I was absolutely in love with the region and and many aspects of the culture and. You know, it's, it's, I identify as Appalachian. This is my, you know, this is my home. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I do feel like there's a lot of, like, the fact that it does not matter what the hell happens to me, I will get my ass back up, you know? And so I would say that for a lot of queer people, you have that too. Like, <laughs> you know, it's not easy, but if you're Appalachian and you've grown up with these ideas, like, you're not gonna just like, lay down and die. Like, right. That's not an Appalachian thing to do. You just say, well, all right. This is <laughs> that's another fine. hard time. Uh, this is, you know, my uncle died in the mine and I'm gay. So right. that's, that's how we need to deal with this. People with those exactly. genes didn't actually survive long enough in Appalachia <laughs> to become these families. Right, exactly. So we're just like very, you know. So there's a built-in hardiness. Exactly. Sure. And this just like, Hardiness, whatever. stubbornness, whatever. I mean... <laughs> What's the difference? <laughs> uh, so I feel like that is part of my personality. I feel like that probably is something that is good, mm -hmm. good about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like, I don't know. I mean, I feel like that's probably the main thing that was good about it. I, I think one of the other things that was very interesting, not necessarily good, about growing up in Appalachia was in related to in related to queerness was the fact that you didn't know you know that other people were until you ended up in conversation with people or if you shared something and then all of a sudden oh wow you are too sure. um one of the really interesting phenomenons that happened to me uh when people started getting wind that I was not completely straight uh was that like Pretty much all of the queer women in Greene County at the time just like started being my friend. <laughs> they, <laughs> like, they descended on you and invited you to their coven. Uh, pretty much, I. Like, I mean, that's that's a joke, but that's really not far from the truth at all. Um, and some of them I really liked, and we became good friends. And then some of them I were like, "These people are crazy. <laughs> Please stop talking to me." Um, but it was really interesting that it was like because it's so because there's so few people. Like sure. e everybody is 
is part of that same community because there's <laughs> there's not like a whole lot of people to choose from. And so you get thrown together by this weird sort of commonality of just this one thing about your personality. And there, there's so many other things that you have that make you who you are, but this is the thing that, you know, makes everybody want to be your friend. Um, so that was really interesting. Um, and I think that that can be a positive because you end up, uh, being able to create a community outside of some of the, the things that may cause people to not be friends, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, whether it's in high school, right? Like music interests in music. They like this type of music. I like this type of music or religion or whatever, um, like you, you have kind of something that that ties you together, despite all of those other differences. So I don't know. Sure. I don't know if that's, but that would be that would be a positive thing, I suppose. Um, this this is a little outside of your uh, high school career, but how would you say, or do you have any idea how the prevalence of the internet has changed um, people's ability to come out or feel more included or less included? Like, do you have any um, thoughts on? How the internet's changed growing up. Uh, Definitely. Oh, oh, I have I have many thoughts about this. Uh, mostly because for me, the internet. I discovered the internet when I was a sophomore in high school. I went to okay. Governor's School for the Humanities, and I got on the internet while I was there. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing! This is the best thing ever. There are all these people out there that are just like me. And um, and so I came home and begged my mom to get us an internet, to get us an internet. Um, because, <laughs> hey, mom, we need an internet. <laughs> please just get us an internet. Uh, <laughs> because I wanted to be attached to that uh, because I saw that there was an entire universe out there of people who were a lot like me. And um, it wasn't just the the queerness, but that was definitely part of it. And it was really cool. Prior to uh, prior to the internet, for me, what I did was I found people <laughs> via via uh, snail mail. I did pen palling, so I would find individuals who like some of the same interests as me, and I would write letters to them. And a lot of times, because most of the people I would talk to were in the goth subculture, mm-hmm. um, most of the time you would find people who were also who also identified as queer in some way. How did you find Uh, those people? I had a friend who was involved in the pen paneling community and they have had something called friendship books. Um, (laughs) What? Okay. (laughs) We're going to do another hour on this. I've never heard of this in my life. (laughs) What? James's job senses are tingling here. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So you would like decorate a page in a friendship book with like your contact information. Hold on a second. Are you talking like a physical book? A physical little what book. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> hold on. Was it like a... Did you create uh, a web ring? It's like a uh, yearbook? Yes, yes. It was like a web ring, except it was snail mail. Oh, yes, my God. All right. Exactly Walk us through like. literally every part of this. This is amazing. <laughs> I love it. This is the thing that you're very excited about. <laughs> so you would like, you know, like staple, probably like 20 small sheets, like index card sized, different sizes, but that was about the, the average, something that could fit into an envelope. And uh, usually you would make it for somebody that you, that was in your pen pal group already. Okay. So like, um, if I was going to make it for, you know, my friend Vicky, I would put her contact information on it. 
Made with Love by another Alice, because that was my pin name. And then <laughs> you would decorate a glitter and lace and, you know, whatever. And then you would send it to another pin pal, and then they would send it to another pin pal. And, like, every person would put their contact information and decorate oh it up. Oh, my God. And then when it was full, you would send it back to the person that you made it for. Uh-huh. And, uh, but in the process, you might find people who were interesting. You're like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> Grimoire in New Mexico looks really interesting. I'm going to write a letter to her. This you know, is and amazing. That was... <laughs> wow. Um, and that my, uh, the friend that got me into it was one of my mom's friends from college. And so we would literally have friendship book decorating parties. Like he would come over and we would decorate friendship books. Wow. (laughs) So, yeah. All right. First of all, that's amazing. I've never heard this before in my life. (laughs) Secondly, how do we recreate this for the digital world? (laughs) (laughs) We try, like... Because it was still very fresh in the mind of a lot of people whenever the internet started really taking off in like the late 90s. And so we tried to do, I mean, I think web rings were actually probably literally inspired by that. (laughs) And then um, like there was something called slam books, which was another thing. Oh, sure. There was like uh, that you would send as well because you could put your answers to it. Like that was a physical format before it became a digital format. Um, and, uh, so there were definitely ways that, that we tried to recreate it, but it just wasn't the same. There's just something really cool about like, you know, I'm going to put, you know, confetti of bats and right. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to turn gonna... up lace and <laughs> glitter on this. I'm going to put my MySpace profile on, <laughs> on this piece of paper. Yeah. It's just not the same somehow. That's amazing. No, oh. I'll see if I have any so I can show them to you. That would be but... so cool. If we got to see some of those show notes. All right. So (laughs) you just blew my mind. I'm sorry. (laughs) So we were talking about that's how you found uh, other people that kind of had the same interest and were possibly uh, queer as well. Right. Yes. Okay. Yes. So you had. It did. The pinballing thing did bite me harder than anything online ever did because uh, there was a girl who posed as a queer girl. Or a person, I'm sorry. There was a person who poses a queer girl who ended up being like a 40-year-old man. Oh, so 40-year-old men ruin everything. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a little awkward. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Like, she sent me underwear and everything. Oh it was very... Oh, no. <laughs> it was very upsetting. Why? It was very disturbing. So, there were purrs before the internet, everybody. This is... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's you did not, not need to yeah, have the internet. You didn't have to, chat room. Uh, so once right. you once you actually got the internet, where were some of your like hangouts? I know as a uh, I'm I'm a little bit younger than you, but um uh on on my um list were like, you know, the Red Dragon Inn and stuff like that. Stuff that you would go mm-hmm. and just chat with other weird goth kids. Uh what were some of the some of the places that you would go online? The place that I always like defaulted to was the dark side of the web. Okay. Um, because that was like a somebody had just handpicked all the links to really cool gothy stuff and categorized them. So you'd have like you know clothing and whatever and uh, people and and so music and all of it was just by category and you could go through and find stuff that you were interested in. So that was like okay. my hub. That sounds cool. Um, and there was <laughs> and you know the other thing too was just being able to actually. Uh, have access to really beautiful women 
which I'm sure is something that is not something that I only experienced. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) What? Hold on. (laughs) Uh, But I remember, I think it was like goth chick of the week or something. And so that was like one of the ones I would go to. Yeah, can you give us the web address that we could put in show notes for that? Jesus, I wonder if it's still up. (laughs) It's like I had to check that out. Um, But yeah, so I would do stuff like that. And I was very into like role-playing games and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, like the Malkavian webpage and stuff like that for uh, I mean, it was strictly like online or like pen and paper, right? Those role-playing games? Um, There were Uh, things uh, called... No, it was was live action. (laughs) Oh, oh okay. Li- live action role playing games. Yeah, I just put you on blast for LARPing. So. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's fine. In, in Morristown, of all places. In Morristown. And uh, we got uh, pulled over by the cops one time. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they were like, what are you doing? And it's like, we had to, we had like, we were so dumb. I mean, this is this is how much things have changed. Like, I'm invisible. <laughs> <laughs> fireball, fireball. <laughs> like, I six had, damage, six I damage. Had, <laughs> I had like, a uh, m- like a machine like a machine gun prop you know oh, thing no. and uh, like other ladies in the uh, in the troop had uh, big huge so- swords and so we're like stashing everything behind <laughs> trash cans <laughs> <laughs> and then the cop comes up and I'm dressed in like uh, cut off um, blue jean shorts and ripped up fishnets and a t-shirt that has a picture of Mickey Mouse with a ho- bullet hole. <laughs> <laughs> And so the cops are getting, and we're like, we're just practicing for a play. And the cops are like, did your mom know that you're dressed like this? And I'm like, these are my mom's clothes. Uh, wow. So, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it's a little off topic, but. And meanwhile, he's like trying his best just to smell weed somewhere. Right. <laughs> now, what, and, I mean, I kind of like had a point in forcing you onto that. Just to point out that even in the butt crack of Appalachia, Morristown, <laughs> you guys like magnetically attracted all of the nerds from That's however true. many hours away <laughs> so that you could LARP in downtown butt crack Morristown at 2 a.m. Right. or whatever it was. <laughs> well, it was funny because, and that had a lot to do with the uh, governor's school place that I'd gone for the summer. Because I met individuals from Morristown and I met individuals from Loudoun and then they all had friends that were adjacent to it. So we just like all convened. Yeah. <laughs> so. Like, hey, guess I found another nerd at, gov- yeah. at governor's school. Imagine <laughs> that. <laughs> Cannot imagine. <laughs> Guys, it looks like the last time that uh, Goth Girl of the Week was updated was like in 2015. So I think it has died. Mm, well, that, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> From 2015 to like, uh, you know, early 2000s, late 90s. Yeah, that's, 1982, that's, whatever that's, it was. That's the hell to run. <laughs> that's enough. That's true. Uh, backlog for us, so we'll be fine. <laughs> Just send that link up. Put that, send that link over. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> okay. No problem. Um, well, there's there's been a lot of uh, <laughs> pretty interesting <laughs> revelations uh, tonight, I think. Um, oh, that's good. That's good. Were there any other stories or anything else you wanted to talk about specifically um, Appalachian growing ups? <laughs> Appalachian growing ups? Yeah. Um, I think the... <laughs> I think that the biggest thing was just, which we which we kind of touched on already, was just the 
the weirdness of being a feeling very obviously queer uh, my entire time growing up. And because like I had the relationship with the girl for a few years at the very beginning of my high school career. But then after that, I pretty much just dated uh, guys, at least guys at the time. Um, and like that was my life until much later until I was like in my early twenties and it was, but I always identified. It wasn't like I was like, Oh, that was a phase. And I went through that. It was, I always identified as, as someone who was very attracted and interested in women. And, um, and so it was very strange to grow up that way in Appalachia, in a place where I couldn't just go and like, you know, get on the the pride train parade. You know, we did not have a chapter of, you know, allies of <laughs> LGBTQ, you know, Q was not even part of the um, oh, right. acronym. Actually, T might not have been part of the acronym back then. Um, right. Yeah. It was just LGB for a long yeah, time. Right. <laughs> so... It was, um, it was very different. It was a very different experience, I think, than like, I've been so involved in my church and watching the youth in this area, and so many of them obviously are queer, and that's part of why they come to this, uh, come here Mm -hmm. to that church. And, you know, their experiences are so, so different than anything I experienced. You know, they, they, they have people, they... We, we put on a prom for them every year. Like, they've got all of that, you know, as opposed to me going to um, my eighth grade dance with my girlfriend and hopefully oh, wow. nobody noticing that that was what happened. Very obliquely, <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, yeah, we're just going to take pictures outside. It's fine. <laughs> just hush, everybody. <laughs> how do you feel so. about the, um, <laughs> since we've kind of touched on it a little bit uh, a couple times, how do you feel about the, the labeling that's happening like it, it, it this is going to please don't take it this way but this is going to sound crass coming from me but it does seem to me that there's a new thing getting added on to the the lgbtqia plus label uh, <laughs> fairly often now do you feel like that's should keep going should stop should be relabeled how do you feel about that whole situation I feel like I am way too old to <laughs> tell, tell, tell the youngins what to do. Sure. Um, so that's that's kind of where I stand on it. I personally, like, and I think I mentioned this before, for example, I am very attracted to lots of different people, mm-hmm. including trans people, including gender uh, fluid people. Um, and so I like, I guess technically I'm supposed to be bis- pansexual, I guess. Okay. Um, but... I don't know. I I've just always identified as bisexual. Uh, you know, obviously well, I mean, that's there's more. Basically, the only thing you had to call yourself, right? At, the, at that exactly. Time. No, we didn't know about pansexuality. Right, yeah. You know, <laughs> like there was no, nothing <laughs> like that um, uh, back back in the day. And so there's definitely like uh, there's a label for every single configuration you can imagine now mm-hmm. and you know I'll, I'll hear people the youngins you know like ashlyn's friends or whatever that will be like yes you know i'm uh consider myself a romantic uh or bi-romantic something something and i'm just Aromantic, like okay. demisexual yeah and i'm just like i don't 
okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. You, you do you. Yeah. You know, and I guess that's, on the one hand, I have a hard time understanding and I don't think that I would ever apply those labels to myself. On the other hand, I grew up, you know, in a situation where pretty much everybody just told me that I was uh, not a valid thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so I feel because I had that experience, I am never, ever, ever going to tell anybody that they're not a valid thing. Sure. (laughs) Like, you do you, whatever works for you. I'm probably not going to use that for me, but... I still love and accept you because you are part of this this crazy community. The good thing about the really positive thing that I've seen come out of that movement is that the the youngins, the youth of the queer community are so much more active and so much more vocal and so much more in touch with each other because of things like the internet. And I feel like I personally feel much more comfortable with my kids and their future in that world because I feel like they are going to be more accepted no matter what. You know, that, you know, and that's, I like that. I think that's actually a really good point. I was thinking of it as a, um, well, if you're, if you're segmenting yourself so many different ways, are you really a united front kind of thing? But right. I, that may be wrong. It may be that, um, since, uh, since these communities are getting more accepted, there is more room for these these all these differences and maybe you know right. these people are are feeling more you know they're saying like just like you you know you you say well i'm bisexual because that's what i identified as uh, a a youth i didn't know what to kind of uh classify myself as but you don't necessarily think that you're only attracted to people that identify as male and people that identify as pe- female you may you know there may be a spectrum there, so maybe you do fit into one of the other categories. I think maybe um, with there being all of these different uh, letters added on to the um, the community and things like that, maybe that maybe that is a good thing. Just because people are more um, freely accepting of okay, there are small differences or small or sometimes large differences between all these different communities. So maybe it's a right. Maybe it's a, a good thing that people are feeling more empowered to come out and say, hey, I'm not exactly in these two or three categories. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, and I feel like whenever you're young, especially the the need to have, you know, like something very, to have a little box for yourself is so empowering yes. because you're still trying to figure yourself out. Right. right. And until you get to the point where you're like, I don't care. <laughs> right. And you don't get there until you're probably like in your 40s or 50s, really, honestly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So like, you're still trying to figure out where, what your labels are and what you are. And I think that it's helpful that there are so many options for kids that I feel like they're not going to, you know, spend a whole lot of time like really struggling because they don't fit in anywhere. Like, no, there is a, there is a place for me or I can create this place for me. And I do feel like that's much more empowering than like whenever... I was young and, you know, I mean, I remember whenever I first started, I don't even think I knew that bisexuality was a thing um, until a little bit later, (laughs) like uh, after I'd already like, oh, maybe I'm gay, Mm -hmm. you know, and that was like, that was my thought is like, obviously I'm gay. I'm going to be in this relationship with this girl. And, uh, and then later I was like, oh, wait, no, hey, I could, I can like... (laughs) 
both sides. You there's know? a name for this. And, there's a structure. Yeah, there's a name for this. Exactly. And um, but you know, but that was not something that was extremely that I was extremely aware of initially. Sure. You know, so uh, being that we didn't have the internet or <laughs> you know, uh, section of books on this in the local library or anything like that. Um, so I think that that is something that will help kids being able to to turn to those things. As a uh, mostly straight white guy kind of weighing in on what I know about those things, I wonder if there is something to the idea that the like the queer field is so logically fragmented now, and like at the same time you're more seemingly more accepted as bisexual as opposed to say 15 years ago. When, mm-hmm. I mean, back then it was almost kind of just like gay or not gay and you're right. either with us or against us. And I mean, I know just like from the people I've come to know in the past several years, like if you can be accepting of these 700 different orientations, maybe also, you know, bisexuality right. can be one of them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I definitely feel like that has, has, has changed that people have under come to an understanding that people are much more dynamic uh, right. than than previously known. Now I say that, and most of my, you know, and I and I guess my caveat to most of my dealings are with the queer community are with people who are more in the spectrum areas, uh, as opposed to individuals who identify as straight gay or straight lesbian. Um, so that might be different if I was in those those roles or those areas more often, but I don't think so because I am adjacent enough to that that I haven't felt anything really negative or um uh ex- exclusive you know exclusatory the way that I have in the past um I feel like I can go into a gay bar now and I don't have people looking at me being like why are you here sure you know <laughs> so that's uh that's really nice and I feel like I can um and I probably should have said, I can go in a gay bar with my husband and not have people look at me like, why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> um, so that is very, very helpful um, just for me. So I do feel like things have changed. Well, maybe if we get to the point where ev- literally everybody is on some sort of spectrum covered by these acronyms, uh, eventually we could just say, who gives a shit? Uh, <laughs> you like who you like. You're you're a cool person or you're not a cool person, and then we can just kind of all be nice to each other, and we'll find something else to fight about, like if you like Marvel or DC yeah. or you know whatever it is. I just want to I just want to jump <laughs> in Star and say Wars, that that's one of the reasons that uh, Devin and I have worked so well, and one of the reasons I married Devin is I would argue that if Devin were growing up right now, she would be in that like super gender queer category even. Yeah. Because as long as I've known her, she has not been big on labels. <laughs> And I'm not either. So we uh we tend to work really well in that regard. Sure. Yeah. No, that's that's a good point. <laughs> um but yeah. Okay. So um are there any resources or things that if just in case there's a weird possibility that there are people that aren't inside of our friend group and are maybe who are struggling with, with uh, identity issues or anything like that. Are there any um, pieces of advice or, or resources or anything like that that you'd like to kind of pass on to uh, the new uh, generation? The, biggest, the new generation. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's tons, there's tons of stuff out there. I would say um, probably the 
best places to go that I've found have been like UU churches or churches that are accepting. I know that sounds a, really hold on, weird. What's a UU? Uh, UU Unitarian Universalist. Ah. Uh, so if wherever you are, find the nearest Unitarian Universalist church. It may be like two hours away, <laughs> but usually there's one within two hours, uh, and that is ex- an extremely great place to start. Uh, just because having that face to face, I think, is really helpful. You can find a lot of different things on the web um, and online, but there's something to be said about going to a church. Uh, another thing that I'd plug just because I'm involved with it and it is a great place to go to a resource is the uh, Children's Diversity and Justice Library here in Knoxville, Tennessee. It's actually housed inside the Unitarian Universalist Church, but it's really focused on kind of creating a space for resources and books about different types of diversity elements and one of those is uh, being queer. So you've got books there for uh, young adults. You've got books there for really little kids, um, all about, you know, whether it's a sexuality or whether it's a gender expression thing. Uh, you can find a lot of information there. So I'll put that in show notes as well. Cool. Um, another thing specific to Appalachia that just came out that I'd like to plug, uh, which I, cause I just discovered it whenever I was looking up stuff for, um, for this, for this podcast is there actually is a, uh, an Appalachian, um, anthology about being queer in Appalachia, oh, wow. which is pretty cool. <laughs> I'm finding it, the words directly for it, but it is edited by somebody who uh, is like one of the most awesome queer authors in Knoxville. Uh, her name is Julia Watch, uh, Julia Watts, and she helped edit this uh, LGBTQ fiction and poetry from Appalachia. And so I'll put that in the show notes as well. Awesome. But that's kind of a nice. Uh, thing that is getting a lot of traction and this is really the first of its kind there wasn't anything like this uh prior to this year it was published this year so i'll put that in show notes as well we should get her on and ask her why you weren't in that anthology (laughs) (laughs) just grill her hey grill her for an hour and a half (laughs) hi welcome why wasn't my wife in this (laughs) (laughs) i was like do you have any idea how many short short stories i've written (laughs) Uh, it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> it's like, I'm yeah, only a little bit. How all these short stories? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, well. No, it's good. It's good. No, she's amazing. She's a great author, and uh, I love all of everything I've ever read that she's written. So awesome. I, hi- I highly recommend her. Um, and I think there's also, there's a lot of other groups out there, like uh, PFLAG is one that, is very helpful um, for it's like parents of individuals who uh, are on this spectrum of some sort. Uh, so that's another thing. And they work closely with my church as well. So that's where I pretty much know that too. So there's, there's lots out there. Um, but I'll definitely add some of these things to show notes. Cool. For, for people. All right. Well, is there anything we didn't uh, touch on that you kind of wanted to talk about? Or is you, are you uh, good with the topic for now? I feel good. I feel good. Right. I just, 
I guess if anyone here who's listening who's not in my friends group or, or who is in my friends group who I don't know if that you are an LGBTQIA plus person, um, because sometimes that happens too. People don't always feel comfortable uh, expressing themselves even among people that they know for years and years. Sure. And I'm just going to say, you know, you are loved and I love you and reach out to me. I'm here for you. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Absolutely. Very cool. Thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, very great topic. Yeah. We'll have you yeah. back are, on, I'm sure, a couple more times. There's there's some more uh, really interesting parts of your, your personality and things that you do that I think would be very good hoots, hollering topics, but that could be something that uh, <laughs> we talk about a little later. All righty. Well, I'm happy to come back anytime. Uh, Devin, where else can we find you on the web? Uh, so you can find me in a couple of places. Every week I have an awesome conversation with Stacy on weeklybuddytime.com. I can also be found at devincorin.com. That's pretty much where you'll find everything uh, you want to know about me. And uh, I also wanted to plug another uh, Instagram page that has kind of become a movement, which is, which is kind of cool, called Queer Appalachia. So you can follow them on Instagram. Uh, they are all about celebrating queer voices and identities from Appalachia in the South. They've got a book out. Um, they are really big into doing a lot of important work uh, in and around like the the kind of activism that's important to Appalachia, such as like making sure people have coats in the winter and can eat and uh, things of that nature. But it's also very much, hey, this is this is queer. This is this is our queer identity. Um, you know, we're going to celebrate that as well and uh, be very open about being queer. So that's pretty cool. All right. Well, uh, thanks for hauling at us, Seven. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. A Hoots Media Production. Hoot, 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 hoot,